Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here this morning. We are in week three of a series on the Ten Commandments. Now, I think this series is very timely because I know that some people today think, what is the place of the Ten Commandments in our world today? Well, the place of the Ten Commandments in our world today would make what is going on in our country very, very, very different. If we would obey the Ten Commandments, and really, remember that Jesus boiled it down to two, right? He summarized them in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor, love your fellow man as yourself. And if we lived that way, our government, our country, what's going on everywhere would be completely different. So, are the Ten Commandments for today, and is it important that we learn this as a church and in this series? Absolutely yes. And today, we're going to be building on what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. You remember that first week, uh, we talked about how God said, I want no other gods before me. And the message he was sending to the nation of Israel and to us was, I want to be the center of your life. I want to be the center of everything. Everything, the, the, every decision that you make is centered on me. Your future is centered on me. Everything that happens in your life is centered on me. You'll have no other gods before me. And then, and then he got a little more specific last week because he says, you'll have no idols. Don't make for yourself any graven image and don't bow down and worship those. And we talked about how, you know, we, we think about idols as a statue or something. And actually that's, you know, that, that can be sometimes what it is, but many times we have other idols in our life. Anything that we, that we elevate above God. And at the end of last week, we, we, had, we had said this, God will bless the life where he's, God will not bless the life where he's just included and not exalted. God will not bless the life where he's just included and not exalted. Let me add something there. God will not bless the nation where he's just included and not exalted. And that may be where we're at today and why the Ten Commandments are so important. And so we're going we're gonna to drill down on this even a step further, I feel like, today with commandment number three. As we look at how do we use the name of the Lord our God. There was a skit from 1938 by a couple of, of comedians named Abbott and Costello. And, and in this skit, uh, they play uh, this, these, uh, this couple of baseball managers, and they're having this discussion. He's wanting to know, hey, what's the name of the guys on, on your baseball team? And, and they have some really strange names like who and what, and I don't know, but, but just check this clip out. Well, let's see now. We have on our team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find then, out, the guy's name. And then, uh-huh. That's what I want to find out, the guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you now, want to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's names? Well, I should. Well, now you tell me the guy's names on the baseball I team. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Is on third. You know the guy's I'll... name's on the baseball team. Yes. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Why are you asking me? For? I don't know. Wait a minute. I'm, not... I'm asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. <laughs> That's his name. Well, you ain't said nothing. I ain't asking you nothing. You did. You know the guy's name on first base. Sure. Go ahead and tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? <laughs> the guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me for? Now, don't get excited. I'm saying who. I'm asking you a simple question. Who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? <laughs> yeah. I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on first oh, base? Oh, no, what's on second? 
I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Don't mix up my... I'm not mixing up anybody. Now, what's the guy's name on first base? Now, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking. <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa. Now, well, let's not whoa, get... whoa, 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 whoa. How, how did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. I mentioned his name. Yes. I don't know anybody's name on the team. I, how could I mention a guy's name? You did. You just mentioned it. All right. What's the guy's name on third base? No, what's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's on first. <laughs> I didn't even mention a guy's name on third base. Yes, you did. All right, then. Who's playing third base? No, who's on first? I'm not asking you what's on first. What's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's third base. Third base. Third base. I don't know anybody on a baseball team. You do. You mention their names. I do? Sure. You got an outfield? Well, naturally. The left fielder's name. Why? <laughs> Pretty funny. But it makes a good point that words and names and understanding what they are and who they are are very important. Because otherwise you get in a situation like that where it's very confusing, right? We don't understand what the name is, but we don't understand exactly what it means. Who are you referencing on first and what are you referencing on second? I don't know on third and why out in left field. But you kind of get the point, don't you? That, that it kind of, it matters. It matters. If the communication was better, there wouldn't have been the confusion and there wouldn't have been the funny skit. By the way, that goes on for like five minutes and 38 seconds. That was only a minute 49 of it. So, but it brings a good, good point for us to remember that we need to understand. And if, when it comes to us as humans, we think names are important. And you, as a person, you wouldn't want someone to misuse your name or to misrepresent your name. Or maybe to throw your name around in a circle or in a situation where you're like, that that is something that, that I wouldn't like or I wouldn't want to be associated with. And yet I want to challenge you this morning. When it comes to God Almighty, think about. And his son, Jesus Christ, think about. How do you use his name? And how you use it, what kind of meaning is it bringing? So let's go to the commandment first in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. So I want you to be in your Bible today. If you don't have your Bible, grab the one in front of you. You can always uh, get on the app. You can do that on your phone or on your tablet. Download the Oakwood app, and in there are all the sermon notes and all the scriptures and everything right there for you. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter 20 and read the third commandment today, and it's in, found in verse 7. And it's very, very short this week. This is what it says, commandment number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Some versions say you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain, in, in a vain way. And then that would be like the commandment, right? It's like, okay, yeah, okay, I've heard that before. We stop there, right? There's more to the verse. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You won't hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And God's sending us a message there. This is a big deal to me. Shall have no other gods before me. Shall not make an idol or bow down or worship an idol. And don't misuse my name. Don't use it in a vain way. Don't use it in a way that brings dishonor to me. Don't use it flippantly. Be careful how you use my name because I will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses my name. Now, before we go any further on this third commandment deal, I just want to share with you a little bit of a disclaimer, a little bit of warning. 
that this is, this is something I'm passionate about. I told, I told some of our staff this week, uh, I'm going to try to tone it down and not make it like I'm, you know, scolding the world from the pulpit this week, but I, I, it's just one of those areas of passion. It was instilled in me from the time I was a young child is you say a lot of words, but don't you ever use the Lord's name in vain. And to my knowledge, I never have. Got a lot of sin in my life, but that's not one of them. And it's because I respect and I revere and I have a healthy fear for the name of the Lord. The, the people that wrote the Bible in, in Hebrew and in the Old Testament, some of the Jewish writers would not even write the name of the Lord, let alone pronounce it. That's why sometimes when you see L-O-R-D, uh, it's the name Yahweh, they would actually leave the vowels out just out of respect, that they couldn't even write the whole name of the Lord, let alone say it. Sometimes they wouldn't say it. That's where we got the name for the Lord that's Adonai. It was actually a replacement name for Yahweh because they wouldn't even utter it. It's so holy and meant so much to them that even in writing the Bible, they wouldn't write the name of the Lord just because it's so reverent. But commandment number three says this, do not use the Lord your God's name in vain. Don't misuse it in any way. It's funny because uh, last time I preached about this, which was many years ago, I didn't preach on the commandment, but it was part of a sermon on who God is. And I remember something happened in the lobby that was cringeworthy to me. There was a lady talking and it was, it was just in the lobby having a conversation, was excited about something, and she just threw out, oh my God, and oh, it just, oh, it just, it, it just really made me cringe. And I thought, wow, how appropriate is the, you know, sermon today? Maybe, you know, we can use God's name in a different way and not like that. In fact, when I even say that myself, I feel like I need to repent and apologize to God for even throwing that out as an example. But maybe you've heard that. <laughs> Hopefully not in the church lobby today. But maybe you found yourself saying that this morning last night, this week. Maybe that's a struggle for you. And when people use the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wow, that one really, after all he's done for you, watch the passion of the Christ. Maybe that'll clean it up for you. I don't know. Don't, don't use the name of the Lord your God in a way that is unworthy. I think a lot of this really comes out of the fact that Sometimes we have a low view of God. Like I feel like God's like on the same level as we are. We kind of like humanize God in some way. And, and the Bible says you'll find not only the writers but the, but the nation of Israel and what God's call is for followers of him is to have a high view of God, to put him up on the throne where he reigns, <laughs> to put him up on the pedestal that he would be high and lifted up. You've read that scripture, right? And yet, so many times, I think we diminish God and we try to bring him down and humanize him to some level and to some degree. And part of that, I think, is our language. We don't have heavenly descriptors. Uh, you know, we're using human language to try to describe God. And we use great words, but sometimes they just don't totally encompass the greatness and the glory of God. And I think when we have a low view of God, sometimes when we use his name, it's disrespectful. And some of that has a lot of different reasons. One of them, I think, is we just have no fear of the Lord today. 
I think some of it really comes out of this, this idea uh, and this characteristic uh, of, that we have, that we have a very man-centered belief system now, a very man-centered theology, I think, in the Christian world. You know, the man-centered theology says, hey, God, what have you done for me lately? You know, what's God there for? He's there to bless me, and I, I pray to him, and he answers my prayers, and that's like who God is to me, where we're really called to have a God-centered theology, which is completely different mindset. It says, God, you have done everything for me. Everything I have in this life, you've given me everything. You've given me your son, Jesus Christ. What can I possibly give back to you? You see the difference? And maybe that difference sometimes comes into play with how we use his name. But maybe, perhaps, just maybe, we've just forgotten who God is or maybe we just have this mistaken identity of God, the skewed image, the skewed thought of God. Because many people see God in different ways. Maybe you've, maybe you've met these people or maybe you've had these thoughts for yourself. Some people see God as a cop. You know, he's, a, he, he's an officer of the law and he's just looking to nail you anytime you mess up. Some people see God as this, you know, unmovable, biased judge. Some people see God as angry. He's an angry God punishing us with lightning bolts and famine and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. Some people see God as this, this old benevolent benefactor, this old man with long white hair. And, you know, he, he sits on the throne of heaven, but he's just boring. He doesn't really do much. Some people see God as a genie. You know, we rub the lamp and he gives us our wishes like an on-demand type of God. Some people see God as Santa Claus. We ask him for what we want, and if we're good, he might give us a present. Some people see God as this phenomenal cosmic power, which he is, but they see him more of the angle from just being a control freak and trying to control over everything in our life. Some of those qualities and characteristics describe God, but not in the way that he is as holy. See, the word holy means to be separate, different, completely different from anything else in the world. I want to share two passages of Scripture today that might raise our view of God. One of them is in the book of Psalms, and you can turn there if you have your Bible this morning to Psalm chapter 111. And in Psalm 1, chapter 111, this is the psalmist describing God. And then right after that, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40, where the prophet Isaiah is speaking for God, and it's almost as God is speaking through his voice about himself. But let's begin with Psalm chapter 111. Now, if you wanted to read the whole Psalm 111, it's just a great expose on who God is, but we're just going to start with verse 7. And this is what it says, talking about God. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all his precepts are trustworthy. Uh, those precepts are, are, are the laws and, and his thoughts, the way that we should go in life, his direction in life. They are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever and acted in faithfulness and uprightness. Verse 9, he provided redemption for his people that couldn't keep those precepts. He ordained his covenant forever because he's a covenant God. He always keeps his promises. And look what it says at the end of verse 9. Holy and awesome is his name. Holy and awesome. Separate, different, set apart, and awesome is the name of the Lord. 
And verse 10 says, and the fear, talk about the reverence for the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. To him belongs praise forever. And only to him. That's who God is. And then we turn over to Isaiah chapter 40. I invite you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to skip, uh, kind of hop and skip through the first few verses here. It starts out uh, in verse 3 by saying this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Kind of sounds like John the Baptist, doesn't it? And then in verse 4 it says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Because that's the power of God. And then in verse 5 it says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Go down to verse 8. It says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures Forever. You see, we see this theme of this eternal nature that God has. Go down to verse 10. It says, see the sovereign Lord. That means the one that's the ruler over all the world. The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And then I love what he does in verse 12. He begins with this line of questions, rhetorical questions, really, about his greatness, about his goodness, about who he is. And I see it as this moment where God's just like standing and kind of sticks out his chest a little bit. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Picture all of the waters on earth fitting in your hand. That's God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did, God, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? The answer to all those is no one. <laughs> Only God himself. Look at verse 15. Talking about all the powerful nations of the earth, right? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as Nothing. All the strength and all the power of the nations of the earth are nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing because God's all-powerful. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The, the, the earth is like a circle to God, just a circle. And his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes, the princes of this world, to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Why? Because God's sovereign. He's over all that. He's powerful and rules over all. Verse 24, no sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, and then he blows on them and they wither. A whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. And then he goes back to the rhetorical questions again in verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One, the set-apart one. Lift up your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all these? You ever, you ever done that at night, not at your house, not in town? Like my favorite place to do that is that church camp when you get out in the woods and it blocks out all the light and you're like pitch, pitch dark, you know, and you barely see your hand in front of your face and you look up and you're like, whoa, there's a lot more stars than there were at my house. At my house, I can see seven stars and now I see millions and millions and millions of stars. And you ever looked up and thought, who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Verse 28. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, again, speaking to his eternal nature, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. How does he do that? It's because he's all-powerful. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Where's your hope? They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, I've just shared two tiny, minuscule little passages about who God is. And there's hundreds of these in the Bible. So don't think that by these words I spoke to you this morning, that's all that God is. That's like one, one millionth of who God is. But in our finite minds, I'm hoping you'll absorb something this morning. And so we're going to stop there. And we're going to ask the question, why does it matter? Why does God's name matter so much? So much so that he would give us a commandment, part of the Ten Commandments. And isn't it amazing how even when Moses received the Ten Commandments, do you remember what was going on? He receives the Ten Commandments on the mountain. Number one is have no gods before me. Number two is no idols and don't worship them. He gets down off the mountain and guess what the people are doing? Having gods before him, making an idol in the form of a golden calf, and worshiping it. The first two. I mean, Moses hasn't even made it down with the commandments yet, and the people are already breaking them. And then we get to commandment number three. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Why does that matter so much? God has no equal. He is eternal and self existent and he is awesome remember what psalm 
111 verse 9 said, holy and awesome is his name. Just the presence of his name is awesome. Now some of you have a name, and I'm sorry, your name is not awesome. It isn't. And you think your name is awesome. And really, if you think about it, you would not want your name to be positioned in a place where it was taken in vain, where it was misused somewhere. Now, this is a hard experiment to do sometimes, but take a person that you love. Maybe the person you love the most in this world. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. But take that person and for a moment start using their name in vain. Just start throwing their name around. And at first, it's kind of like this is... Yeah, kind of cheesy, and I don't get it. But really, think about it. Every time something bad happens, use their name. Anytime you're frustrated, use their name. Anytime you're angry, use their name. Maybe add some words to the end of their name. Curse in the name of that person. And after a while, it kind of, man, I don't like that. You want to talk bad about my wife? I I get offended by that. How much more is God offended when we just throw out his name flippantly? He's warning us. Anyone who misuses my name will not be held guiltless. And why is that a big deal? It's because God has no equal. He's eternal and self-existent. And he is awesome. And we should treat his name as awesome Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, what did it say? To whom will you compare me, and who is my equal? No one. (laughs) We sing songs about that. There is no one like our God, because there isn't. Not even close. He is so awesome. He is so mighty. He is so powerful. He, He is exalted on the throne of the heavens. Who will you compare him to? Who is his equal? No one. And that's why I want to say this morning that we need to be careful how we use his name in everyday speech. In fact, his name ought not be used in everyday speech. Because when you throw out the name of God or his son, Jesus Christ, you cheapen it. You cheapen it. When you take a crucial element like his name that speaks to his character and you use it in little more of a way of an expression of anger, pain, or frustration with life, find something else to say. But don't use the name of the Lord our God. And for some of you, you say, that's not my problem. I don't ever use that name. But when you were at the softball game, someone did. It was cringeworthy as they said something like this, and forgive me, God, for giving this as an example, but Jesus Christ, I wish you would just get it, and you didn't say a thing. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's time to stand up. Maybe it's time to say, hey, you can use any other name. Use my name, but don't use God's name like my Savior that bled on a cross and took a whooping for me and for you because of sinfulness, don't use his name like that because you cheapen his character. Don't use his name because he has no equal. He's on the throne and he is awesome. Treat his name as awesome. Why does God's name matter so much? Second thing is because he's omniscient. Love that word, right? 
What does it mean, omniscient? What does that mean? He is all-knowing. He has complete knowledge of everything. Future, past, present, everything. He is all-knowing. The Bible even goes as far to say, what does he know? All of this stuff. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Number of hairs on my head, which is less now than it was a few years ago. But he still knows the number of hairs on your head. He does. Because he's awesome. But what did it say there in Isaiah 40, verse 26? Do you remember? He said, lift up your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Who does this? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of those stars is missing. God calls them out by name. I want to put this, this number on the screen for you to wrap your mind around this. This is, this is 70 sextillion stars in the universe. That's 70 followed by 21 zeros. That is the same as 70,000 million, million, million stars. Now, how much is that? To put it in perspective for you, that is almost double the number of sands on all of the beaches on the earth. And you know how much sand's out there. Have you ever been to a beach? You're like, that's a lot of sand. That's a lot. Every grain of sand doubled is how many stars there are in the universe. 70 sextillion stars. And God made them all and named them all because he's awesome. And he's given us that reminder there in verse 26. And he's sending us this message that I'm omniscient, I'm all-knowing. I know what's going to happen to you. I know everything that's going to happen. I hold it all in my hand. Whatever struggles you're going through, I know it. Doesn't surprise me. God is all-knowing. Third thing is, why does, his, why does his name matter so much? It's because God is all-powerful and he's stronger than anyone or anything. Look at verses 28 and 29. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Anybody weary in here today? Need some strength? Then you better go to the Lord. Because it says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. How can he do that? Because he's all-powerful. He's got all the power that he needs. The way I like to think of it is God has all the power he needs in his pinky finger to fix everything in the world. And he fix everything. He could heal and bring restoration to relationships. And he could provide for you financially. Everything that you could possibly need is from the almighty and the all-powerful God of the universe. He's all-powerful, and he's stronger than any situation that you have. And that's why he says, no matter what you're trying to, to get out of, no matter what situation you're trying to walk through, God is all-powerful, and he's stronger than anyone or anything else. All the evil and the darkness in the world, he's stronger. If you read the end of the book, you find out in Revelation, in the end... We win. Sorry if I was a spoiler for anyone. But God is all-powerful and stronger than anyone or anything. That's why his name matters. So lean and depend on him. Call upon the name of the Lord. 
Why does God's name matter so much? Fourth thing is God channels all of his attributes, all of his qualities into his great love and his salvation for us. He channels all that. Do you remember what it says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 2? You remember what he said? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, comma, out of the land of slavery. Remember what we talked about week one, that we have all been, we were called this in the New Testament, slaves to sin. We're slaves to sin in our life, and God is our rescuer. God is our deliverer. And because of his great power, his great might, his strength, and his love, he channels all of those attributes into his great love and salvation for us. You may say, how? Why does he need to channel all of his attributes? His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived perfect life, never sinned. And we crucified him. We beat him. Really within an inch of his life. And then hung him on a cross for a few hours. And they made sure he was good and dead. How much strength does it take the Heavenly Father to not just reach down and rescue his son in that moment? But God channels all of his attributes. Even that, what, you know, how many times do we read in here that God is a covenant God? God always keeps his end of the bargain. Isn't that amazing? Praise his name. We don't keep our end of the bargain, but God does. Wow, that's somebody I want to worship. That's somebody I want to praise. That's someone that I care about how I use his name. And he channels all of those attributes that we've talked about today and many more that we haven't talked about today into this great love and this sacrifice through his son, the salvation for us. Why does God's name matter so much? Last thing is because your view of God impacts every area of your life. You have a low view of God, it'll reflect in your life. You have a high view of God, it will reflect in your life. How you view the Almighty God affects every area of your life because it changes everything. It changes your priorities. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. It changes the pattern of relating in your life to other humans. It changes the pattern of relating in your life to God Almighty. So many things will change in your life when you hold in esteem a high view of God. And God would say to you, do not misuse my name and do not misuse my son's name because it matters. It matters. And it will show up. Here's something to consider as we close this morning. The placement of his name in your life might reflect his place in your life. The placement of his name in your life and how you use his name might reflect his place in your life. Is God diminished? Is God low? Is God just serving me? Or is God high and above and lifted up and I'm here to serve him? Think about it and reflect on it for a moment. Where and how are you using the name of God? There's not anything I could say this morning, anything I, anything I could preach, 
any scripture I could share with you that I think will just immediately change the way that you use God's name. And for some of us, if we're being honest, it's just become a habit. I mean, OMG, it's in our texts. We, we, we have a struggle with this. And the struggle is real because it's become a habitual sin in our life. But I want to remind you, and just be honest with you and up front, that when God says, I will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses my name, there will come a day where you will stand before the Almighty God. And Scripture says you'll give an account for everything that you did. And I wonder, I just wonder if this isn't the biggest thing. When God says, you misused my name 38,937 times in your life. He's going to know it. I see that Jesus steps in and says, I've got him covered by my blood. He's accepted me. He's confessed. He's asked for forgiveness of his sins. But I think it hurts. You ever thought about that? This is a weird thought sometimes. Put yourself in God's place. Your God. How bad does it hurt that you would sacrifice your son and that someone would use his name when they miss a shot in tennis? What does that feel like? I mean, think about it. It's just like a gut punch. If I sacrificed one of my daughters for you and then someone was just throwing her name out like it didn't matter, I'd want to wring their neck. And it would, it would be, yeah, there would be righteous anger there, but there would also be this sadness and this pain and this hurt. What if I were to offer you this morning that the way you use God's name hurts him? It causes him pain. What if God has feelings, just like we have feelings? You know, the Bible says we're made in his image. And could it be that it's like dragging Jesus to the cross again every time we misuse his name? I implore you this morning, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now what's great about this is Scripture says that we need to repent to turn away from our sins. And so if you're one of those this morning that you've been struggling with this, repent. Confess your sins to him. The Bible says if you confess your sins to God, that he is faithful and just. He's a covenant God. We read about that. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness. And that's what you need. You need purified. We all need purified. And it's just a moment we're going to take communion. And I wonder if maybe during this moment, if you've struggled with this, you could use this as a time to ask for God's forgiveness and to repent of your sins and to confess to him. And maybe if that's not you, hey, I haven't used the name of the Lord, you know, in years. But if you're allowing it with the guy who sits across from your work and you say nothing, I'm not saying you have to condemn him to hell or crucify him on a cross. God doesn't want that. But perhaps God does want you to bring it to their attention in a humble and a loving way.
and warn them of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And maybe for you, that's your sin. (laughs) But you know the good you should do and you choose not to do it. But regardless, as we come to communion, this is a time where we can repent and reflect and cry out to God and talk to him. When Jesus sat in the upper room with his disciples, they talked. I mean, John 13, uh, John's gospel, chapters 13 through 17, the upper room discourse is a lot of talking. It's a lot of dialogue. Most of that is just when Jesus was talking. I'm sure the disciples talked some too. This is a time when we commune with our Savior, that we talk. This is the time where you can reflect on his name and understand that God and Jesus Christ, that just the name represents salvation for you, a second chance for you, heaven for you, eternal life for you is all wrapped up in this name. And it's our only hope. Let's pray. God, as we come into this time of communion and we, Lord, we get to respond. God, some of us, we know, though, that we, we have, God. We've, we've used your name in, in, in conversations and in ways that do not bring you honor. We've cheapened your name. We've kicked it around. We've allowed others to do the same. God, I pray that we would just understand the great love you have for us and that that would just in turn make us have this deep love and affection for you, that we would want to protect your name and use it properly. And God, if there's anyone that needs to just repent of that sin and confess it, God, I pray they just lay it out of the foot of the cross because we know it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can be purified from all unrighteousness. God, we thank you for a sacrifice. And as we take this bread that represents his body and this cup that represents his blood, God, use this moment to purify us and could we use this moment to cry out to you, to use your name in the way that you intend for it to be used, adored and, and lifted up and exalted because of who you are, God, because of who you are. And God, I pray that would be on the increase in our life to understand who you are, that we would have a high view of you, put you on the throne of our mind and our heart where you belong. So God, as we take this communion together, whether it's here in the room or it's online, God, use this time to draw us in. Show us, show us those ways that are unpleasing to you and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, we love you and we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. If you would, just take a moment now and commune with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.